Hey, it's Clay Aiken, and I'm doing a podcast with Politicon, speaking to the top minds across the political spectrum to find out how the heck are we going to get along. But, you know, since we started this, we've had COVID-19, worldwide protests, the deep state, Rampgate, and apparently Paw Patrol is public enemy number one now. Hell, I might even be canceled by the end of this promo. So clearly, we've still got a lot of work to do. Join me and my panel Thursdays for How the Heck Are We Going to Get Along? Find us on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. And don't forget, at the end of the show, we'll answer your questions. So if you got a question for us, write to politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can. This episode is sponsored by SteadyMD, Blinkist, and The Great Courses Plus. Check out the links in the show notes and we thank them for their support and our grandchildren thank them for their support i want to thank all of you for listening today please tell your friends and remind them to subscribe on apple podcast spotify stitcher or wherever you get your podcast so now let's go to the penultimate show before this election james i look at trump this week it's like it's like march 1945 the germans nero decree destroy tear down everything to thwart the advancing opponents he lashes out at Fauci as an idiot. He demands his usually loyal AG invoke a special counsel against Biden, preposterous. He stalks off the 60-minute set. Uh, he goes in a Pennsylvania rally the other night. He cuts it short and says, nobody loves me, and tries to dance. It kind of like Julia Louis-Dreyfus on the uh, Seinfeld show. He is just, he's going to do something disruptive and destructive at that Thursday night debate. I can guarantee that. He's already slandering the respected moderator. This is the behavior of a caged animal more than an embattled president. He knows he faces defeat, lawsuits, bank, bankruptcy, maybe an orange jumpsuit. But I got to tell you, James, I genuinely worry what he will do in the next 12 days and then in the subsequent two and a half months. Well, first of all, the, the, the most stunning thing that he did. It, 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 I don't. I, I, it, in all of the stuff he does, it's really hard for anything to stand out. But he went to area and said, "I really didn't want to be here. I shouldn't have been here. If it were, I was winning and I had pandemic, I got to come back here. And I didn't want to do it." Which is, what was it? Gary Hart said something. He was stuck in New Jersey, and remember that in nineteen eighty four, and it just a thing yeah. just blew up on him. Uh, but when of all of the unconventional things that that he has done, and I, I use unconventional just. Is the most moderate words that I can come up with. Telling people I really don't want to be here. I'm only here because I'm behind. It's a, a, in the history of presidential messaging that stands out as being highly unusual. <laughs> yeah, well, I, mean, he, I, no, he, I read the story and I, and I actually looked at the sound clip. But maybe, maybe fake news got it wrong. They they didn't. Well, I I, uh, I agree. There's a lot of stuff that's really easy to ridicule, but I'm serious. I really don't know what a caged animal does. I don't know what Trump does. I don't think he's going to ever go quietly into the night. His ego won't let him do that. His sickness won't let him do that. So I do worry about what's going to happen. And I worry about what protects democracies or guardrails. And I worry about whether the courts are going to adequately protect us, whether his cabinet or Republican senators. Uh, you know, and, and I'm assuming a, a big Biden victory, and I still think there's a danger. Well, first of all, with him, there's always a, a danger of, of something like this happening. I, I my, my hope is 
is that if it if it turns out the way that it looks like it's going to turn out, the way I've thought it's going to turn out for a long time, it's going to be he'll be more constrained by people internally and more constrained by the courts. The courts are going to going to, going to look at these election returns. I guarantee you that that they don't operate in a vacuum, and people going out in the administration don't operate in a vacuum. None of them can find jobs now. And I, I think if he tried something crazy with, with the Defense Department, that, that I think they'd be insubordinate. And I, I, that's totally against everything that they're trained and think, but I actually, I actually think they would. Well, I, I hope and I suspect you're right. But I was struck by that Supreme Court decision this week, refusing to overthrow the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. These are the people who rail against activist judges, and they voted to overturn a state court. There is no doubt that when Barrett comes on this court, they are going to do things that that people are are not remotely prepared for to try to retain this kind of power. And, you know, I think what what, what Vice President Biden should say is we'll evaluate the federal judiciary. I I, I don't see any way that they're not going to have to change the the, the federal judiciary. And that, that, that decision was unbelievable. And, you know, Roberts, in four to four, Barrett would 100 percent voted with, with the conservatives on that. And that's just unbelievable. And, and the idea that you, you, you postmark your ballot uh, on Monday before the election and, and it counted on Thursday is that that's as normal as it can be. You remember in Florida in 2000 when everybody went nuts about the soldiers voting, voting late and then counting it. And. No, but it could probably had a point. But you know, under our system, the Medal of Honor winner gets the same vote as a is a janitor. <laughs> I mean, that's just what it is. And I, I, I don't know to what extent that they're going to go to in the court, in, in Supreme Court, but it, it's going to be pretty, 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 pretty draconian. I, I yeah. promise you. And that case was just a tip off. Well, it was because what it is, again, is this is overturning state law, overturning rather a state Supreme Court. That's not what the Supreme Court does. That's not what supposed originalist conservatives are do. They don't they don't legislate from the bench. This was activism that would have put Earl Warren to shame. And basically it was done for one purpose, one purpose only, and that was to help the Republicans. And that's the way. And once Amy Barrett gets there, you're right. So that, 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 that it has to that, be a decisive election. You, you just can't so, exaggerate how bad that though, that four person, uh, I guess it was a dissenter, that four person uh, Republican uh, uh, conservatives on the Supreme Court on that Pennsylvania case. It really so, was just awful. Before we leave Amy Barrett, I think she's a lie. Okay. You could not graduate, you know, top of your class high school, top of your class undergraduate school, top of your class at Notre Dame Law School, be the daughter of a successful petroleum engineer, be a federal judge, be a law professor, and not have an opinion on climate. It's impossible. It's 100% that she lied to that committee. There's nothing you can do about it, but she has an opinion on it. I guarantee you. There's nobody, there's no educated person in this country that doesn't have an opinion on climate. And to say she had not developed opinion is, is, is just, it's, I couldn't yeah. imagine that she was telling uh, 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 of, of course. I mean, absolutely. Uh, without question. And just to go back to that previous one, if she doesn't recuse herself in any political decisions that come up there about the election, 
it will it will stain her her time in the she court forever and ever. It would have it will turn out to be a political payoff. She don't care. Uh, but she I don't think she shows no indications whatsoever of doing right. that. Right. Right. I, I think she's you know gonna All right, James, I, I I agree with you. I think this thing is settled. I think he's gonna win decisively, probably not as big as you think he's gonna win. But I but but I do want to note, you know, kind of the two be sure. A couple polls that came out in the last couple of days, Washington Post, ABC, so Georgia, even CNBC in Pennsylvania, almost even New York Times, Siena and Florida, virtually even. You think they're just wrong? No, well, first of all, all right, let's talk about the, the New York Times, Siena poll. It was getting, Biden was getting 28 of the white. He wins at that. He just wins at that. But the second thing is, is that in, in the history of politics, when incumbents are running even, they lose, and, and they generally lose pretty decisively. I mean, we're just people are abdicating an, an entire body of political knowledge to I don't know what. I, I, I mean, if you sh if you're one point up in North Carolina, uh, you're going to win. It just it, it just happens that way. And, and we're going to have Mike McDonald on the show, and when you just look at the stagger, I, I don't know what it means. I'm going to ask Professor McDonald for sure, but the staggering stuff, the fundraising differential to everything. I, I, you know, I'll be surprised if this, this election is remotely close. And I, and that, as you know, that is a position I've held for, for a long, long, long time. And, you know, if you go, remember this, you, I look at, you know, I don't know, 20 polls a day. Well, you know, as well as anybody, because you've probably been involved in more media polls than anybody in the United States, that one of 20 are going to be wrong. Right. It just, just, it, and, the, and four of 20 or five of 20 are going to be on the, 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 the longer side of, of, you know, when they say the, the error, it's polling error is 3.5. That's plus or minus. Yeah. And you're going to have some within that 19 that are going to be plus or minus three. Well, that's huge. But if I look across the whole board, you know, as, as uh, Nate Cohn said for the times, Trump had his best polling day. was still awful. Yeah. And I mean, well, I, also there's an income, you know, I look at that. The Washington Post ABC polls nationally shows Biden with a double digit lead. And then they do state polls and they show Trump either winning or running even in Arizona, Florida, and Georgia. Those two cannot coexist. There's something wrong. There's something flawed in that poll somewhere, for sure. That happens in every cycle. This happens in every cycle. And the, 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 and the, the state number always reflects the national number. You just, you, and, you, and by the way, he's going to win Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin by probably 10. Each of them, I, I, you know, it might be eight, might be nine, might be ten. All three are going to come in that in that realm of, of better. Uh, and there's going to be he's going to lose a lot of votes in Michigan. There's, a, there's, a, there's five people on the ballot, and he does worse in the five way than he does in a two way, and that's a really good poll I saw. I, I don't see anything that, that at all tells me this is not going to be a big night for Biden. I think he's going to win all three. I think you got to take off a couple of points, at least in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, because they're going to cheat. They're going to cheat in the sense that they're going to throw ballots out. They're going to intimidate. They're going to have suits, but that won't change the outcome. Uh, it'll, 
uh, be unfortunate, but he's still going to win. I would say, you know, I would guess Pennsylvania is going to win by about seven, but that's just a guess. But anyway, uh, we, we he's up eight now. Seven in that USA Today Suffolk poll, which has never been one of my favorites today. In, in, a, in a poll at a polling firm that I see that is much better than that. It's better. And it's, it's uh, over 1,200 interviews. Yeah, James, you and I know there ain't there ain't any difference between seven and eight when it comes right. to a poll. Right. Uh, yeah. Hey, James, before we turn to Michael McDonnell, uh, I think you have an interesting point to make. Yeah, I, I, this is a reporter for the Atlantic that I really like, Elaine Godfrey, and she covers a lot of different stuff. And she was covering the resistance in uh, suburban Cleveland of these these women and how just they organized they are and how this is happening all over the country. And if you just stop and you think what, what is going to be very unique about this cycle is the amount of organic and spontaneous action that has been taken all across the country. I mean, normally the campaigns kind of dictate 75% of what happens. In, in this instance, the campaigns are not even dictating half of what happens. I mean, people are just, they're not waiting on orders from headquarters. I mean, they, they're, they're going. And Theta Scott for them, so I'm mispronouncing Theta's name has been, I think she's at Harvard. And she really studies this kind of thing. And she's very been around for a long, long time. She's first rank uh, academic. But but I, I think one of the great stories of this cycle, this is my prediction, not only will Biden win in a, in, in a, in a big way, in a really big way, is going to be the amount of spontaneous organic activity that has cropped up around the country. And it's probably going to be more from females than males. You know, if you look at historically in the African-American community, it's these African-American females that have been the most organized and, and worked the hardest. You know, based on even on, on the militia, as Dr. Ballou pointed out, the, the women are really all, even there or are, are, you know, almost leading the charge. But it's, it's going to be overwhelming how much we're going to see in the resistance to Trump and the different third party groups, the spontaneous fundraising. It, 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 this is going to be America's finest hour. This is where the country is. People are going to look back at this and say that what happened in the United States is we lost faith in each other. And, but people came up and people are going to be overwhelmed by this because all that I hear is, oh, the racism is so potent and you watch Trump is putting this out there. This is going to be more successful when you think I see these signs out there and I see these people doing this and the polls are wrong in 2016. Oh, that's all shit. This country is this country is going to make a, a massively wonderful statement about itself. Now, let's take a second to tell you about this great new doctor service, SteadyMD. SteadyMD is your personal doctor online. It's telehealth. Done right, James. I think this is like a terrific idea. I, I, I really do. I know like with my own position, a lot of stuff I do is FaceTime. I, I mean, that that's not, that that's, of course, that was a horrible result of the pandemic. But I, I think what you're going to see is people, you know, moving towards something like this. And I, 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 my gut tells me when they do studies, you know, it take you know some period of time that that the quality of health that this delivers is going to be 
comparable probably better than, than you get with the normal physician-patient relationship because it's easy to do. And, you know, if you need a test or something like that, then they, they can deal with that also. And, and I, I think that a lot of people are going to think do a lot of good to a lot of people. I'm, I'm very proud to have these people as part of our team. Go to SteadyMD, only $99 a month, no additional visit fees or co-pays or insurance required. It's accepting members of all ages, good for us, James, in all 50 states. Go to SteadyMD.com slash warroom to take the free quiz and see which doctor is a perfect fit for you. SteadyMD.com slash warroom, no risk and no long-term commitment to get started. Telemedicine, the terrific idea. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, we thank them for sponsoring this podcast and look for the link in our show notes. Hey, James, Michael McDonald is a political science professor at the University of Florida and is so damn smart about elections, we're remiss anytime we don't have him on the show. Uh, he has been a good guest before, and he'll be a great guest today. He runs the United States Election Project. Check it out every day to see who's voting and where. Michael, that's really what I do every morning. And this morning, uh, I saw where, you know, 40 million people are voting early already. Those numbers are off the charts. With 12 days to go before November 3, we expected a lot. Has it been exceeded? Yeah, um, we're over 40 million people who have voted in the election, and um, that's a record pace. We're seeing record numbers in the mail voters. So if uh, if you just look at the mail ballots, uh, you're running about six to eight times the same level of mail balloting as we saw in 2016 at the same point in time. If you're looking at in-person early voting, well, you're running only about two times, only two times. And, you know, there's reasons for that. It's easier for people to return a mail ballot. Uh, we started with very low levels of mail balloting in 2016. So uh, seeing the unprecedented number of mail ballots that were going to be sent to voters, more than 80 million, um, we knew that it was going to be easier to increase the mail ballot numbers very quickly. It's more difficult to get those uh, in-person early voting numbers, really pump them up, because um, you've got a few number of uh, early voting locations. It's not like uh, election day, where we've got lots of polling locations across the country, and um, you're trying to cram a, you know, a larger number of people through a smaller uh, number of sites, and that's, you know, that's Two times is pretty good, um, but we wouldn't expect six to eight times. It just wouldn't be physically possible to process that many people. Well, that's true, except in North Carolina, it's been the in-person has been off the charts. Uh, I mean, they have, I forget the latest figure, but I think a million and a half people have already voted early. Uh, I, think, I think that's the exception. But uh, uh, they they expanded their opportunities this time. Yeah, yeah, and there's some um, fascinating, fascinating things that are going on in uh, various states with in-person early voting, and uh, I, you know, hopefully, we'll be talking about that because uh, I think it's very informative. Well, go ahead. You can you you set the agenda because you're. That uh, well, all right. So let's talk about the mail balloting first. Um, we knew that lots of Democrats were going to be requesting mail ballots. Uh, we could see these lopsided advantages for Democrats in state after state in mail ballot requests. And of course, we're going to be like states like California that are all mail ballot and they're heavily Democratic. But I'm really talking about just mail ballot requests in places like North Carolina and Florida and others. We saw these big advantages for the Democrats. So we knew lots of Democrats were going to be voting by mail. And um, traditionally, more Republicans vote by mail. So it's very odd to see these numbers. And then you add another uh, factor on top of that, which is 
Democrats are returning their mail ballots at a higher rate than Republicans. Usually it's Republicans that turn return their mail ballots at a higher rate than Democrats. So not only do we have a lopsided advantage for the Democrats in requests, and now we've got them also in the returns as well. So if, if all these Democrats are voting by mail, well, they used to vote in person early, and maybe that's what's happening. They're just going to shift from voting in person early to mail ballots. And conversely, Republicans who are listening to Trump, who's telling them mail ballots are really terrible things to, to do, um, they're instead deciding, well, I'll vote in person. And so they may vote in person early or, of course, on election day. And so that might, you know, you might have had a presupposition that, well, you'll see more Republicans voting early and um, in person and, of course, on election day as well. And yes, that's what we're tending to see in places like uh, Nevada and New Mexico, we, where we have a generous number of people who have voted in person early. We're tending to see the Republicans do better in in-person early voting, an area where the Democrats usually do better. So it's all topsy-turvy. Um, but here's the bad news for the Republicans so far is that that in-person early voting is just not at the um, offsetting the the very high levels of mail ballots that are being returned in the and the advantage the Democrats have there. So it's like a slight advantage on the in-person early voting, but to really make up the difference in what we might typically see in the overall early vote, um, you see you need to have more Republicans voting in person. We still have some more time, so they may yet make up that ground. So. Well, I'm going to turn it over to yeah. James, but some of the numbers that you put out this morning so far, uh, a, a Democratic advantage of three to two in Florida, 54 to 20 in Maine, 73 percent to 19 percent in Pennsylvania. Those are really, really big numbers. That's a lot to make up. But uh, James, weigh in. Uh, all right. Is there any way that we can discern how many of these people are first time voters? In a few states, you can. Um, and you have to be really careful with voter file data. Um, uh, right. I, I, I've done research on this, and of course, I've worked uh, with these data for uh, over 30 years now. Um, and so uh, you have to be very careful with that data because um, uh, some states, you don't really get good vote history data. Um, but there are two states where we do get good vote history data, where I can look at the number of people on the voter file who have a record of voting in, in say, the 2016 election, and it matches up almost perfectly with the actual number of people who voted in that election. And so if you look at those states, you can see, well, I have to pull up the numbers, um, uh, but you can see that there are, are about 25 to 30 percent of the, um, the people who are voting so far who did not participate in the 2016 election. Um, and so, you know, th those younger voters, uh, people who've moved out of state uh, in North Carolina and Georgia, um, those probably are good um, people for uh, the Democrats. That, I mean, that, uh, may, I'm, I'm not, a, numbers, I'm not an academic and I don't study this, but instinctively, that those are, like those are not good numbers. Those are like awesome numbers. If you if what we're seeing is twenty five to thirty percent of people voting in this election that didn't vote in two thousand sixteen. I mean, I don't have a historical reference point for that, but I don't know. That seems pretty good to me. Well, <laughs> Just yeah, off the top of yeah, my head. yeah, you're right. It's it is good. Um, but you have to realize there are always going to be some voters like that, right? There are always going to be the young voters who didn't participate in the past election, right. and there are always going to be some uh, people moving into out from out of state, especially in fast growing states like Georgia and North Carolina. So, I mean, they look pretty good. Um, they look 
you know, about what they were in 2016, um, maybe a little bit better. But um, uh, I, look, there's a large number of people doing this. This isn't just so it's also the volume that also looks good from the Democratic perspective. What are the chances that we hit 150 million total votes in 2000? Well, I still think we're pretty good on that um, because uh, we're seeing Texas already at nearly 60% of their 2016 vote. And um, some of the all-male ballot states like Vermont is already over 50%. And we still have two weeks to go. I mean, that's the crazy thing here. Um, We still have more election to play out here. So I would not be surprised if uh, we see some of these all-male ballot states um, you know, the, the, the numbers are starting to come in. Some of them put their ballots out later. So there's a lot of variation among them. But um, I would not be surprised if some of those states are topping their 2016 number um, by a, a good margin by uh, the end of next week. And that'll be the, the real telling point at that, that point to say, yeah, we're going to have a high turnout election. Hey, if everything peters out and we don't see people returning their ballots and we know, hey, uh, it was a bust. But uh, right now, I still expect that uh, what the data are telling us is that we're going to have a high turnout election. So I'm looking at 538 in Florida, and I say Biden has a 70 percent chance to win Florida. Do, do you agree with that assessment just off the top of your head? Well, um, you know, we still have to see the in-person early vote. And just like those Western states, we're seeing Republicans do better. Um, in the in-person early vote, um, and they have a slight lead in it where Democrats usually have a big lead. But there's one thing, I, you know, I, I, I need to complete my thought about Florida and North Carolina and their in-person early vote. There's something that's distinctly different about these Southern states than, uh, than those Western states, and that's the African-American community. Now, I'm a white guy, so I really can't speak for the community, but I can look at the data and I can see that um, African Americans are voting in person, and they're not voting uh, by mail at the same rate that they, um, as other uh, white Democrats, are doing. And they're choosing to vote in person early voting. And maybe that's because um, there's been a lot of push to in the community, uh, like with souls to polls, to encourage in person early voting from churches to polling locations. And there's a habit that's been developed of voting in person. Uh, in these southern states among the African-American community. There's also a distrust of the male as well. So um, uh, for whatever reason, that's what you're seeing. And so those, um, if Republicans think they're going to make up the um, mail ballots and the in-person early vote in these southern states, well, they have to also contend with the fact that they're going to have a sizable African-American community voting in person as well. And, you know, know, Michael, just look at North Carolina, uh, another academic, Michael Bitzer, could tell, does it does a pretty good job in that state. What you do nationally, and he is he is uh, comp- looking at that election data. They do it by party, and and also you can you can uh, uh, extrapolate by race. He is showing actually Democrats are doing more in person voting than Republicans. Although that started to change yesterday, and the African American vote is actually exceeding what they think will be the overall yeah. vote what they had counted on. Uh, so that's just nothing but good news for Democrats. So yeah, far, exactly. Uh, in a place that's like why, that. you know, if you if you just focus on one state, um, you don't get the whole picture, of course. And there are some nuances right. across states. So it's important to look at the holistic viewpoint of the um, what's going on, say, in the West versus what's going on in the South um, when it comes to in-person early voting. Um, and I absolutely agree with that assessment that uh, African-Americans are voting 
in person early, and that is uh, driving some of the patterns. So, you know, the, the real, I don't know how this all plays out. I don't know if this means that Biden wins the election because we still have a lot of time left. We have to get through election day. But what I do know is that this gives the Biden campaign a huge tactical advantage. They are able to cross off every one of these voters and they can refocus their efforts on the voters who haven't uh, voted yet. And meanwhile, the Trump campaign has to wait. They have to nervously wait till election day. They have to continue to send out mail and make uh, phone calls to all the people who haven't voted yet, all in their their, uh, support target. And um, they're wasting money. I, they have sent millions and millions of mailers to their supporters, encouraging them to vote by mail. And I've got one from a prior occupant of my home <laughs> sitting in here as evidence of it. And, you know, it's bad target to start with that they sent that piece of mail because he's not registered to vote here. But um, they sent it anyway. And they, they're sending out millions of these things. And that costs money. So they're burning through their money. And then the candidate, Trump, opens his mouth and he undoes all of that. He, he, he causes the campaign to waste millions of dollars in mobilization efforts by the campaign. It's insane. I've never, what is going on there? I cannot, you know, trying to get in Trump's head is impossible, but he is just. You, you, you put your finger on it, Michael, uh, insane. But, you know, I'm also looking. And, and in a number of these states, maybe this was the pattern before, but in North Carolina, Florida, there as many unaffiliated voters or other party or whatever uh, as a percentage as there are Republicans, at least in North Carolina. Is that the norm? Does that tell us anything? There's some indications in North Carolina that most of those voters voted in Democratic primaries. I don't know if that's uh, revealing or not, but do you have any sense of are we getting larger uh, early votes from unaffiliated uh, voters, and what does it yeah, say? Yeah, those uh, no party affiliation voters are not self-identified independents that you see in the polls. They tend to be younger right. people, um, and uh, they tend to be persons of color more often, especially Latino, Hispanic. So um, they uh, they tend to break towards the Democrats, and um, so the. Again, Trump supporters are just listening to Trump and they're saying, well, I'm going to vote on election day or I'm going to vote in person. Uh, we have yet to see the in-person really show up in large numbers. So I guess they're going to vote on election day. And um, th- meanwhile, the Biden campaign is just racking up numbers and they're able to retarget uh, their efforts on the people who haven't voted yet. So, so Prof, there was a AP story and we're, we're partic- both of us are particularly fond of AP because of... Uh, of Mike Tackett, who's the bureau chief in Washington, that answers Deputy your question. Deputy. And that is, they stole the money. You, 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 you have to, you can link oh, to yeah. it off of talking points. Oh, yeah. You can go right to it. There's a billion dollars that, 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 that's gone. It's evaporated. And, and, and they, they paid 300 and something million dollars to a Delaware shadow corporation that no one knows what it is. And I'm going to try to talk to Mike pretty soon to to get the the, the story more, have more people be aware of this i mean it it is stunning i mean brad parcell no one has any idea he's got a fleet of cars I, I, and so now they're going into as you correctly point out the biden people have an easier targeting universe and they have i don't know how much more times more money to do it with right. i mean it, it it but i i know where the money went 
I can tell you where it went. Well, you know, <laughs> it went, you it, don't think, James, that you don't think that $100,000 they spent to promote Donald Trump Jr.'s book was a good, good uh, campaign expenditure? Uh, God. I mean, what, <laughs> what, what about, the, again, the 300-something million that went here? It said what Trump would do, he would buy, they'd take campaign funds and they'd buy the, the merchandise. So you had a MAGA hat that probably cost you 40 cents in China to make. The campaign would buy it back for $30 and give the money to because Trump nets all of the proceeds on the site. It's, it's the greatest public grift that we'll ever see in this country. And when, I, I promise both of you this. But we're all gone. And when they write about the, how vulgar these people were or, or, or how inept they were or, or you know how bad the appointments were, the thing that is going to remain the legacy of this whole thing is the staggering, breathtaking corruption. I, I mean, corruption on a scale that we can't remotely imagine. It, it's, it's really unbelievable. And the story, it, it, in my opinion, has gotten not nearly the amount of, of, of attention that it deserves. Oh, I, I'm all with but you I'm on sorry. this. I'm sorry for going No, on. I'm all with you on this one because <laughs> uh, um, this has been going on for a while. Uh, like Michelle Bachman, her uh, fundraising, um, she would raise lots of money in small donations, but her fundraiser would take 90 cents out of every dollar that <laughs> they were raising. So uh, it wasn't going actually to anything other than lining their pockets. And, uh, you know, so this, uh, it comes to me as no surprise that all these mailers that are being sent out, the purpose wasn't to send out the mailers. The purpose was to line pockets by having consultants uh, actually, you know, do some work, but most of that is actually probably going for consulting fees, not to actually print and mail the the materials. My my, fi my favorite personality of presidential campaigns of the twentieth century is Marcus Bachman. <laughs> Michelle, yeah, husband, yeah, he 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 did uh, gay conversion therapy. Oh, we'll let it go at that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And this just means that the Biden campaign has more money uh, and they have more. They're spending it more effectively. So, gosh, if they lose this election, this is, you know, the this will be the, the you know, the, the worst loss of any campaign in history, given how uh, inept and corrupt the uh, the Trump campaign is. They're not going to lose. Yeah. The other thing, Michael, when you talk about you, you make such a good point about they have to keep going to these people that, that whereas the Biden has his uh, can bank his vote. Uh, if if as some of the epidemiologists are forecasting, we're going to go. We're starting right now to go through the worst six weeks of this entire pandemic. Uh, and if there's even a little weather problem, man, I'd hate to be counting on November three turnout uh, after I failed on in person yeah. and, and, and mail ballots. That's a. That's a, I, I would guess that for all their their bravado about a great ground game that uh, we're not going to we're going to see less than they expect in November. Yeah, this is a huge risk. Um, we know they're going to be fewer polling locations. Um, myself, my polling location has been consolidated because w the church that I would normally vote at is not available. They're not going to make it available to the public to to come through their church. And that's happening across the country with retirement homes schools, other places, there, there simply aren't going to be the same number of polling locations. And on top of that, we have a, a volunteer poll worker issue as well. So, 
we're just simply not going to have the same number of polling locations. So you're going to have to cram through all these Republican voters through a smaller number of polling locations on election day. So they're going to be longer lines. That's just what's going to happen. And if there's any weather, now you're forcing people to stand outside in a snowstorm or a rainstorm, or God forbid we have, you know, on the Gulf Coast, a, a hurricane or something. Um, and, you know, so it's very risky. And there could be COVID issues. That's happened during the primaries too, where a polling location goes down uh, because there was a, a positive case with uh, with a poll worker in the facility the night before. So that could happen as well. Um, it's just very risky for the Trump campaign to put all their eggs in this election day basket. Well, uh, that's what they're stuck with. Listen, Michael McDonald oh, is the United States Election Project. All of you out there, you want to every morning, go to it, go to the early voting, check your state, see where it's coming in. Uh, there's no one that does this as well. There's no one who understands it as well as uh, Michael McDonald. Right. And we're going to keep checking with you, Michael. I, Thank you so I much. I don't know of a single political professional that doesn't go to that site <laughs> first thing right. in the morning. I really don't. I really don't. And everybody watches it. Everybody reports on it. Everybody talks about it. I mean, I'm glad that we got an SEC guy that is in, in, in the, you know, the ground zero in terms of well, uh, comment on this election. By the way, Dan Mullen is an oh, idiot. Oh, yeah. Maybe we'll have an LSU he wants game to fill up this <laughs> next year. <laughs> in, in December now, they're saying, but we'll see. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, well, all, all I can say is Michael McDonald represents the University of Florida with great distinction <laughs> in contrast to Dan Mullen. You've been a great guest, Michael, and we'll keep touch of base with you uh, through November 3. Thank you great very much. With you Thank guys. you so much, man. Appreciate it. Hey, James and I have a new favorite app we want to tell you about. It's called Blinkist. Look, this thing, I have a bookmark on my computer. I'm going to just give you an example of, of, of what they have. Fifteen ninety nine a year in the life of William Shakespeare, and it just takes one. And it's a thirteen minute read, and you can see the, how formative fifteen ninety nine was in in Shakespeare. You know, I'm not gonna be a Shakespearean scholar, not even close to it. But what a terrific thing! Th then, if you just go in, in every one of these things, you know, a, a bedtime biography of Queen of Fashion, Marie Antoinette. All right, the uh, bedtime biography of Elton John. I, I mean, these are the kind of things that, that curious people are just going to love. James Carville and Marie Antoinette only Blinkist. It's unique. Oh. It works on your phone, your tablet, your web browser. It gives you the best key takeaways and need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and 15-minute briefs. Right, James? Yeah, there's thousands of books on here. You know, it's just something to engage curious person that has limited time can really broaden your whole perspective, your whole horizon. It's terrific. It's, you know, I always tell my students, I know plenty of successful people. I know some that are really smart, some not as smart as you might think, you know, some that really work hard, maybe some that work a little bit less, but I have never known a successful person that didn't have this one trait and that is curiosity. Every successful person that I know, at some level, is really curious. And when you listen to the show, it's almost a given that you're a really curious person. And for curious people, this is a great site. 
Well, the other thing I would add is I've never known a successful person uh, other than the current president of the United States, uh, if you want to call him successful, who doesn't read. And I, and I don't know any successful people who aren't pressed for time. And that's where Blinkist comes in. You get unlimited access to read or listen to all the books you want for one low price. And right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for you listeners out there. Go to Blinkist.com slash warroom. To try it free for seven days and save 25% off any new subscription. That's Blinkist. It's spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash warroom. It's all one word to start your free trial, and you'll save 25%. Look for the link in our show notes, right, James? Absolutely. You're going to love this product. I promise you. Hey, James, we've gone uptown. We're actually about to talk politics with Sarah Silverman, the celebrated comedian, actress, producer, writer, and in our world, political activist. Sarah, you grace us by joining us. Thank you. Oh, my you. gosh. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for reading my intro in toto. Did I get every word right? I yeah. hope. You were with Bernie Sanders four years ago, and you gave a much praised speech at the Philadelphia Convention. Mm-hmm. Uh, endorsing Hillary, you got some booze, and you told him stop being ridiculous. You were with Bernie this time. How do you feel about Joe Biden now? Uh, a grill. Well, I'm. How do I feel about him? I I I voted for him already. I hope that he wins. He wasn't my top uh, choices, but I think he's a good human being, and I would love. I would be so grateful to be complaining about a Joe Biden presidency someday. I'm I, that would that's the dream. Well, uh, it is for a number of people uh, on the left. But is the resistance uh, or lack of resistance different today than it was four years ago after you gave that pro-Hillary speech at the convention? Uh, what do you mean? Like the resistance of, of like progressives? Of uh, the Bernie, uh, the Bernie people, the left. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, there was a, there, there were some holdouts last time. Uh, and I just wonder, is it different this time? Probably because of Yeah, Trump. I think, I think the stakes have made it different. And I think a lot more people realize that it's a wildly privileged thing to do to, and, you know, and this is coming from someone who <laughs> voted for Ralph Nader in 2000. <laughs> but, you know, I think people understand the state. There's definitely going to be holdouts and, you know, there's fringe and on every side in every party, you know, that that are bananas. But I do think that people are um, understand that the stakes are, you know, that it would be a, a pretty wildly privi- privileged thing to do to uh to not vote for Biden and, and get on board, you know? Biden will do just fine. Just gonna get him in. You have a big you have a big following with young voters. Uh, there's some concern about will they turn out in the numbers that they need to. Is there anything you'd like to see Joe Biden and Kamala Harris do in the next ten days to more energize uh, You know, group? I think if Biden like goes on the Arsenio Hall show and plays the saxophone, that might be really good. That's a wild idea. <laughs> um, I don't know. You know, I think somebody else honestly, all that. at this point, I think not being all Trump is, is like a really good um, strict strategy. James. So, so Sarah, you're coaching uh, Vice President Biden for the debate. And, you know, of course, he's going to go, Trump is going to go 
crazy on the Hunter Biden stuff. How, how would you advise him to respond to that? Um, I, I just think he would should be like, uh, you've got some nerve. I mean, like, uh, he could go through all all of his kids and talk about the, their crimes. I mean, he's like bananas. So, I'm going to ask you, I'm interested in, in, in comedy, and you have a, a, a justifiable, but I like, a reputation of being edgy. His cancel, I, I, for lack of a better word, I'll just call it cancel culture. Is is that giving you any pause in your routines, or do you do you think about it? Are you aware of it? Is it in the, is it in the back of your head? Are there things that you were doing 15 years ago? You know. Oh doing God, yeah. Well, I mean, I've always felt like if you didn't look back at your old stuff and cringe, you're not, you know, growing in any way. I and mean, the whole world is different. Uh, I'm. I like to be changed with new information. I. I mean, I'm horrified by things I've said and done in the past, but I also have to forgive myself and accept it and, and just be changed, you know? But yeah, I definitely am mindful about the culture, but I also am a, I'm worried about being afraid of it or, you know, um, I want to take it into account, but also, you know, you said edgy, you know, the thing about being risky or edgy in comedy is that you're, you're risking something. There are consequences. So, you know, to, if people are horrified that there are consequences, maybe they don't want to be, maybe they don't want to be an edgy comedian or, or you know, people have so many different definitions of what that even is. You know, like Trump's use of PC is basically like um, racism. Like, you know, like, oh, I can't even say this anymore. I can't even do this anymore. It's it's so odd for people who don't change with the times. Eventually you're gonna, but people fight it so hard. And I always think it's so odd when, especially people on the right fight and they don't look at their own history and go, right, I, I did come around on that eventually. I did come around on that eventually. Like, do I see a pattern here? You know, students, college students and, and like American youth tend to be on the right side of history. So like, if you don't understand what they're saying, it might be worth it to examine it closer. You know, there's there's a, a historical validity in, in who they are and what they say and how things want to change. You know, people are like, oh, I, I can't learn a new word. I can't learn a new pronoun. I like that stuff, you know, like um, I was just saying, you know, I, I, I mess it up. I've worked with a few like they's and them's and uh I fuck it up constantly, but I'm, I try and I know it's possible. You know, none of us could say Schwarzenegger in 1980, but we all can now. And it, it was no one. Everyone thought Zach Galifianakis should change his name. And then the Her hangover movies came out and we all know it. It's it's we can do it. You just got to like uh, be earnest and try a little and not be em embarrassed. You know, I feel like for so many people, shame or embarrassment converts into uh outward rage or you know the unexamined life converts that you see it in trump all the time you know it's just very interesting I, right. when you talk about cancel culture it's i have i feel like i could i could argue kind of either side i do think that like it's very odd on the left to see you know to me i separate the liars and the lied to and i I don't like liars, but people who are believe the liars, I 
I have empathy for them. And so I just like when I see people on the left, just cancel people wholesale. It's not very progressive. You know, I mean, progress, progress, progressive. That's to progress, right. to change, so, to be changed. So sorry, I'm yakking. So no, I, 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 we have you on the show. So I have to ask, uh, what is Sarah Silman's uh, reaction to what recent revelations about uh, America's mayor and Trump's attorney, uh, Rudy Giuliani? Uh, I, I watch, I actually, we're not censored. Huh? Oh, well, we're not, censored. We're not censored. I mean, <laughs> you know, they're all like this, um, boys club dinosaur scumbags. I mean, I, you know, like, you know, it's all, they're all ruled by ego and, uh, fucking gross. I, I don't know. What do you, is that an answer? Did I answer you? That yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's Am a, that's I surprised? A, that, that's an answer. No. Yes. I mean, it, you know. That's called nailing it, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. you, you, you have nailed it. Let me ask you, let me go back to one political question because you mentioned earlier you, you're all in for Biden. You can't, you know, you're, you're excited. You voted already and you, you know, you can't wait to take issue with some things that you might do. If, Bar if, if Biden and Harris, if they come in and they expand Obamacare, public option, but not Medicare for all, Tough climate change with really strict uh, uh, timetables for uh, eliminating carbon, but not the Green New Deal. Big taxes on the rich, but not a wealth tax. Is that really good, good progress, or is it that just too incremental? No, I think it's good progress. I mean, especially if then we get, you know, if that gives way, it depends on how the pendulum swings. You know, if it if it gives way to a, an AOC presidency, I'm like totally down. If it swings the other way again, I don't know that we have time. You know, it's kind of an emergency, but um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, listen, I, you know, whenever people ask me to predict anything, I just think like, you'd have to be out of your mind to think you could predict a single thing in this election or in this world, you know? Like, I, I'm on the edge of my seat, but I have no idea, you know? I, if no, it, you know, if anything that we should learn from the last election is to get these, you know, this, these smug smiles off our faces, like, you know, what we see, you know, I, so many friends I have are like, oh, he's going to, Biden will win by a landslide and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, yeah, from their mouth to Hashem's ears, but like, you know, I, they, are they, I don't know that they're seeing the, the algorithm that feeds the the social media streams of people on the right it's a very different story we don't have line truth anymore we we have a divided country who's being fed completely different facts you know well they yeah they you know they sure have i i think it's caught up to him and i know james really believes that but let me ask you you're a snl alum <laughs> i mean you were great on saturday night live what do you think of jim carrey's joe biden um, I think he's incredible. And I, I didn't see I don't know if I saw the last one, if he did, but I, um, I liked the like really far out bizarro direction. It went that usually is saved for like sketches at the end of the 90 minutes, like the really kind of experimental weird stuff. But I have to say, I really loved, um, Sudeikis Joe Biden, you know, I don't yeah. know if you remember that. But How about my... I do. How about Maya Rudolph's uh, Kamala? Amazing. Isn't it? Yeah, it's so good. 
<laughs> so, Sarah, I teach, and one of the things I, I try to get my students is resilience, you know, being able to come back to tough something out. Yeah. And I actually played, the greatest comeback I've ever seen was Gilbert Gottfried at the Friars Club with the Aristocrats. Oh. And I, I, I just never seen a guy swing and miss so bad and then just go deep and, and, and just clubbed it. And, of course, I'm a big fan of the movie and a big fan of you in the movie, particularly. <laughs> what, what, well, I'm, I'm serious. It, 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 it's just, I mean, a guy just completely, I mean, it, it, you know, Frank Rich wrote about it in the New York Times. And uh, I don't know how I haven't gotten kicked off campus for, show, for showing that to my students, but they all understand what I'm saying is, you know, it's, it, it, you know, when you're a comedian, you're, you're performed like that. You know, that, that was probably the, the most lead balloon joke ever told. And then he comes back, uh, you know. And is, is that joke as legendary among comedians as it was made out to be in the, in the movie? Yeah. I mean, I think it was more legendary um, er, in earlier, you know, time. You know, it was like... Right. Um, through the years, you know, it's probably less so now, but the movie really encapsulated just like the, the generations that it was really, I mean, there, there are a couple other jokes that I could tell you off, off of this podcast um, that I would say are like some favorite jokes of comedians that you just tell to each other, right. you know? Yeah. It's kind of like, Oh, oh Sarah, give us, chef. give us your favorite, give us your favorite. I, I, I will off the air, but, uh, it, we're living in precarious times and uh, I don't, I, I, I can't handle all the pizza emojis and QAnon <laughs> people in my <laughs> feed. It's so scary. You know, we're comedians, you know, well, I, we don't want to step on the Giuliani story, Albert. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You know, you know, uh, Sarah Silverman, you have millions of fans james and i are two of them but i'm going to tell you something that i'll bet you none of or very few of those fans have ever told you you're you're from bedford new hampshire that's right and that that is one of my favorite towns in the world and you're saying how the hell can bedford new hampshire because about the time you were born i was starting to cover new hampshire primaries my mother I was a photographer for the mcgovern for george campaign. mcgovern right yeah. and at that at that you know the old sheraton wayfair with the that, I knew there, that was what you were going to say because that's where it, everybody stayed. It was the most legendary single venue in American politics until they stupidly shut it down about 15 years ago. And I, I mean, there are more stories that came out of Bedford and that hotel and that it just it's a it's a great community. And I, of course, I love the New Hampshire primary, but I really do miss the Sheraton Wayfair and Bedford, New Hampshire. I do too. I, you know, they, that's not there anymore. Not the way it was, but I remember that no, it had not. like the covered bridge and ducks and a pond and like, but I'm sure insane debauchery took place. Well, there it, yeah, it. <laughs> it, it, it also had a bar and I remember some nights in that bar, but it was, uh, it was in the political candidates would the presidential candidates would come in there. It just was a wonderful, wonderful gathering spot. And, uh, you know, New Hampshire, despite some, you know, some bad elements with the late William Loeb and all that, it really is a, a, a fun place to be. And that New Hampshire primary is great. So you were born in one of my very favorite towns. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. We used to have like 
I remember, um, let's see, Bruce Babbitt? Yep. Remember Bruce yep. Babbitt? Arizona. We worked, for him. We, we worked for him, you know, our family liked him that year and uh, he like stayed at our house, you know, they, the candidates would like stay at regular people's houses and he stayed at our house once, you know, during that, uh, we were the, the average American family that he stayed with. And I remember well, you know, we worked, they, go on. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, you go ahead, please. I talk when I'm nervous. Uh, we worked for the um, Jesse Jackson campaign. I was in seventh grade. And, you know, we were like, uh, there weren't Jews in New Hampshire, you know. And But we worked for the, my sister always said she thought being Jewish meant um, being a Democrat. Because that's, you know, we were atheists. You know, our parents didn't, we were godless. But, you know, that's how we knew we were different. But um, my sh crappy, shitty seventh grade teacher, Mr. Uh, I shouldn't say his name. But he... Uh, I remember after the Jaime Town thing, he was like, well, our family works for Jesse Jackson. Sarah, I'm sure your family probably doesn't like him. And I was, I remember thinking even in seventh grade, like, yeah, we're working for his campaign. We love him. And also if you, if you think he's anti-Semitic, then why would you like him? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> fucking ass. You know, the great story that Mo Udall used to tell about, uh, you know, someone up there was saying, uh, you know, are you going to vote for Mo Udall uh, next Tuesday? He says, I don't know. I've only seen him five times. Uh, that's your Bruce <laughs> Babbitt staying at the Silverman's house story. Yeah. I know. I James. have no recollection of him. So, <laughs> tell me, what are you working on now? Do you have any projects coming up? Uh, I am. Um, legendary number of fans you could look forward to? Yeah, I got some stuff coming up. But right now I'm doing a, uh, I've got a podcast. Because I heard you guys oh, had a podcast, oh, and I wanted to be cool like you. <laughs> right. and, and how can people find your podcast? I, I, I'll tell you how I find podcasts. I go to my app that says podcast, and I type it in, and my it's called the Sarah, it's called the Sarah Silverman podcast. Gosh, that, that could have been wait, wait, James. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Sarah, don't go so fast. <laughs> the fast. Sarah <laughs> Sil Vermin. Wow, there's vermin in oh. my name. Oh, wow. Well, okay. Uh, you've got two new listeners now. And yes, James, please. This, this, is, this has been a treat. You really are just terrific. And... Uh, you know, lots of insights and lots of stories about Bedford, New Hampshire always are fun. And I hope sometime you'll join us again after uh, you celebrate the Biden-Harris victory. Oh, man, I hope that happens. All right. You guys are the best. You're the bee's knees. <laughs> All right. Thank you right. so much. It's a big honor. This is the Sarah Silverman podcast. Remember that, everybody. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. If you get confused, it's a Sarah Silverman podcast. <laughs> That's right. It's really smart and really dumb. Hey, we want to take some time to focus on ourselves and do something that lifts us up, makes us feel better. Learning with the Great Courses Plus. James, you are a Great Courses Plus fan. Yeah, I, I am. And it, 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 as I recall, it was started by a guy we both know, Tom Rollins, who was a Bill Kennedy guy who married Vicki Ratt, who was one of the great lawyers. And she helped us a lot in debate prep in 1992. But this thing has just expanded. My, one of my favorites on there is they actually have a cooking great courses. And it's like this high-end chef at the Culinary Institute in, in New York, which is, I don't know, the Harvard or the Oxford of, of, of culinary education. 
and it's broken down into the different elements of cooking. You know, I have one on broiling and one on frying and one on, you know, fish preparation. And it's better than anything anything that I've ever seen in, in cooking. It really is. It, it really educates you in, in a way that's just going to help you make you a much, much better chef. But you can go to, they have hundreds of these things. They're, they're, you know, it's, I, I like the ones, you know, on ancient Rome, but the, the Civil War stuff is top-notch. It, 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 anything that you're interested in, I promise you, you've you got a selection here. This is, this, is good, this is good stuff. This is, this is the crack pipe of learning. Well, Tom Rollins is a terrific guy, and Vicky Rad was off the charts. I, I really, there are people I've lost touch with, and I'm, I'm glad we brought it up because I haven't talked to Vicky. Hey, I years. think they, she is they sold is, a company, but it doesn't she matter. Is, she is company. terrific, and you know, I'm not gonna, I may not do the culinary thing, but that is great. But I tell you what, I'm gonna do. There is one: how to train your dog. And this week, we're getting a little puppy for our grandchild, and you can better believe that I'm going to go to the Great Courses Plus on how you train your dog because it intimidates me a little bit. Uh, I don't think, James, you and I are going to do how to be a better singer, but there are lots of interesting historical uh, pieces on this, too. Oh, God. Oh, and, it's, it, it, and what they do is they pick, like, the most knowledgeable, best communicator. I had a friend of mine, was actually an Irish guy, who was a... a taught the ancient Rome for a bunch of books and he might have been the best raconteur I've ever seen in my life. We used to he would speak on cruise ships and I would. And uh we would just have these in really engaging conversations and he unfortunately got like pancreatic cancer and he, he died young. Uh, Garrett Fagan. Uh, it, I've I've known a lot of people that were really good at bullshit. No one was better than, than Garrett, and he taught one of the courses. He was selected and probably was still up. And if you got that, you're gonna you're gonna laugh. It. He's a just terrifically knowledgeable, engaging guy. He's a Trinity College in Dublin, which is you know like the Cambridge of Ireland or the part right. of Ireland or whatever. But he's a and it, it, that's indicative of the kind of people that they try to get. And uh, it's it's a good site. It really is. Well, it is. Great Courses Plus app. It's easy. It's accessible. You can watch or listen anytime. And you can start any journey you're about to take with a Great Courses Plus. Today, your future self will thank you. It's that good. Sign up with our special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash warroom. When you go there, you get a full month of unlimited access for free. Go now to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash warroom. It's all one word. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash warroom. Look for the link to our show notes. Hey, James, we've got lots of, lots of really interesting mail this week, and including a number from overseas listeners. Uh, George in Malaysia wants to know what's going to happen to Bill Barr after a Biden victory? Uh, well, I, I guess he'll go to some white shoe law firm and have a pretty successful appellate practice before the Supreme Court. But I, I think that the Justice Department, the morale is so low and people are so disgusted by what they see, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we start getting a, a lot of leaked stories out of there. But, you know, it, of course, Trump, is trying to get him to investigate Joe Biden and none other than Brett Hume. And I know of George in Malaysia, Brett Hume is a sort of, you know, really right wing. He was on Fox forever. And he said it was wholly inappropriate. I mean, when you see Brett Hume pushing back against Trump, you, you, you're seeing a lot. 
says a lot. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And that leads us to Inga from Wales, who says he loves the show, getting into the weeds with the two of us here in South Wales, although he still votes in New York City. But he does ask the question, what impact, if any, do you see the Hunter Biden emails having on this election? The answer is none. And let me just spend 20 seconds. What Hunter Biden did was wrong. He should not have been working for that uh, somewhat shady Ukrainian energy company. There is abs- not only is there nothing that Vice President Biden did that was wrong, he did everything right. He tried to go and get rid of a corrupt uh, prosecutor in the Ukraine. Everyone who has looked into it, including the reform groups in Ukraine, every single publication, the EU, uh, sided with what Biden did. And the only mistake Joe Biden made or his staff made, they should not have let his somewhat troubled son uh, engage in that activity. It has nothing to do with him whatsoever. So I would disagree with you. I think it actually helps Biden. So I'll tell you why. Because it, 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 Trump can't let it go. And no one cares. And it's been answered. And it hasn't moved any votes. There was actually a story in the Washington Post this morning where you have a lot of these people working on the vaccine that actually give the government some credit for, for funding it and staying out of the way. And it, instead of, if he had any sense, of course, he has none. If I had any idea that he might listen to my advice, I would not say this on the air. Every minute that he's talking about Hunter Biden and is not bragging on the fact that they funded these vaccines, it's only $10 billion out of a $3 trillion or whatever it is, but he did have these, these expert vaccine people giving them some credit for this, and he's too goddamn stupid to do that. So I, I think the Hunter Biden story kind of helps in that it prevents him from talking about you know some of this really meager you know, accomplishments uh, heading into election day. So, I'm- okay, okay, Inga, you hear you heard it here first. And James, uh, Andrea from Canada. This could be from almost any country. She said, "How will U.S.-Canada relations be different under a Biden administration?" Up here in Canada, we're very uncomfortable with President Trump. Substitute almost any country in the world for Canada there. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I, again, I, I think that this election is going to be sufficiently definitive, and I think that the, the world, uh, you know, the world of Canada and Malaysia and, and you know the United Kingdom, is going to be so relieved and they're going to be happy that they're going to have an America that that they knew and that is is in, they're going to be happy that America made a statement about itself. So I, I and I think the repairing, particularly the the our relationships with previous allies is, is going to happen pretty pretty quickly, and I think it'll be a really good thing. And I think, you know, that uh, Biden is going to. We're going to the first thing we got to do because China is is an adversary, and there's no doubt about that. And we've got to really re-engage with Western Europe. We, we forget the European Union is bigger than us, and they, they're very good counterbalance both in trade and in defense and, and and everything else. We we really got to reestablish. Uh, our bona fides. And if I was Biden, the first place I would go is Berlin. <laughs> no doubt about that. Well, the uh, the Pew Research Center did a survey of 13 major countries in Europe, Asia, Canada. The U.S. did terribly. Worst, worst, worst numbers we've ever had uh, in public opinion. 
And Putin and Xi Jinping really did badly. I mean, there's no trust whatsoever among these people. Trump did worse. And when it comes to handling COVID-19, they, they, they fought the U.S. more than China. That, those are stunning numbers. And that is a challenge for Joe Biden, but also a great opportunity from day one. We have, you know, we don't want to leave out the U.S. here, James. So we have one, you know, Jim uh, in South Orange, New Jersey. So if the Democrats win the House, Senate, and presidency, can they pass a law that could overturn Citizens United and get money out of politics, or do we need to go down the road of getting a new amendment? First of all, Citizens United basically overturned much of McCain-Feingold. So, so much for precedent when it comes to those conservative justices. However, with Amy Coney Barrett on that court and the other conservatives, I think it's almost impossible to pass a law that really undoes Citizens United. Constitutional amendment process is difficult. So you're going to have to do a number of things. You can do some things in the state level. And certainly, certainly you can have all money disclosed. You could put an end to dark money. There's no question the court has said that that's legitimate. But, uh, you know, that's just Citizens United will go down as one of the five worst court decisions of all times. I I think there should be a sustained effort to try to pass a constitutional amendment. Uh, You know, first of all, it would be the 28th Amendment. So it's not like it hadn't been done before. It's very difficult, but would give a a, a organizing cry, not just for, for congressional candidates, but for candidates to the state legislature, and, and it would give a unifying thing is let's deal with this this hideous problem we have with money in politics. And by the way, the public supports that. That's a 75 percent issue. That's a 75 percent issue. And you can argue it and, it and it gives you something that that a, a, a guiding principle that every Democrat, moderate Democrats, liberal Democrats, Suburban Democrats, urban Democrats, rural Democrats, and uh, and independents, and a lot of damn Republicans. All right, it it. I don't know if you can get it done, but fighting the fight in in every debate for every legislative race, would you would you ratify the twenty eighth amendment? And you know, the twenty eighth amendment needs to say something. There's nothing in you know that prohibits the various you know a Congress and the legislatures from regulating the amount of money spent in political campaigns. Yeah, I, and let's I mean, say we're I, talking, I we're not talking about small contributions. We're talking about big money. We're not talking about, I mean, if a whole, if, if millions and millions of small contributions come in, great, fine. Yeah, That's that, fine. That, that, it's not the amount of money in politics. It's what it takes to get it and where it's coming from and what the price is. And, right. you know, I think that's a, that's an inch. I'm, I'm skeptical that, or I think it's difficult, but I certainly think it's, uh, it's worthy. Listen, these questions are great. Keep them coming. Uh, we'll try to answer as many as we can every week. And the most difficult choice we face is picking which ones from just a plethora of really good options. So thanks. Hey, Jay, James wants to know what's with so many media pundits, naysaying Biden's poll leads, etc. Having been in this business for over a half century, I'll tell you what it is. It's two things. It's number one, it pays to be contrarian because you hope people will remember if you happen to be right. And if you're a pundit or you're writing about the election right now, how many times can you write every day Biden's going to win this thing? You have to say, to be sure, there's things that can happen. And that's what almost all those pundits and even reporters uh, are all about. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I- Tom Metzl is a friend of both ours, and both of us have held him in the highest esteem. But so one week he says, watch out, you know, Trump may may win. And then this week is the Democratic coalition is going to be so broad-based it's going to fall apart. Uh, 
I, I think he's he's going to be right on the Democratic coalition that, that's going to come together for this election is, is so massive and so diverse that it, it's not going to be able to hold together. I think the people that are going to be most disappointed are the kind of far left. And the reason I say that is because the incoming Democratic Congress, if, if we're right, and if 538 is right, 74% chance the Democrats uh, win the Senate back, and everybody thinks the Democrats are going to pick up House seats. And if that happens, uh, hello, hello, Senator Mark Kelly, Senator Hickenlooper, Senator Bullock, uh, you know, Senator Harrison, it's not Senator Cunningham. That They're going to to have a more moderating influence on that caucus than what you have right now. Yeah. No, I uh, I agree. I mean, Tom Tom didn't say the Republicans are going to win. He just warned about the registration advantages and everything. Right. And Tom Etzel is one of the best. We have a question here, James, uh, from um, Bill. And I, Bill, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I think this is a non-starter, but it's a, it's a well-thought-out question. What would it look like if Trump wins, but Democrats win the Senate and the House? Uh, I, I, I think we can almost guarantee you that ain't going to happen. Yeah, that there's, there's zero chance that we win the Senate and Trump wins the, the electoral mm-hmm. college. That's it. That's, it's a, you know, it's, it's something in the, you, you know, we can go with, you know, some remote possibilities, you know, or you can have, you, you can have fun with that, but that's, that's, uh, rest easy on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't worry, Bill. Yeah, don't, you know, uh, Sanket in Ewing, New Jersey, is really interested in Jamie Harrison. And where, where do we see Jamie Harrison ending up in 2021? It could well be as a 50-50 shot. He'll end up in the Senate beating Lindsey Graham. Uh, but if not, running the kind of race he ran in what was considered uh, an, an unwinnable uh, contest, uh, Jamie Harrison has a future, doesn't he, James? Well, he has a future, but don't send him any money. Don't send him anywhere. He's got he's got plenty. That's right. All right. Send it to Kansas. Okay. Send it to Alaska. Send it no. send it to the state party at North Carolina. Send it to Texas. Right now. James, I am I'm gonna jump in and make a pitch. I think you will agree with this. Where you want to send it now is to those state legislative races. Right. Republicans have started to pour millions into those races. It's what they did before. Sheldon Adelson just shipped in four and a half million for the Texas House races. So you're right. All those Senate races have lots of money. Send it, if you care a lot, send it to state legislative races. I, yeah. I interrupted, but go ahead. That's okay. No, no, but, but you can send it like to the state party of Texas. All right, right. That, that they got a, a bunch of state legislative races there. They got a bunch of congressional races there. If if Richard Murray is right, we have like a real real shot. But but don't send any more money to Amy McGrath. Or don't send any more money to Jamie Harrison. That they, that's it. That, that they got enough. And uh, the interesting thing, uh, Harrison has it, it's it's online. If you want to see the best political ad I think ever made, Google Jamie Harrison dirt road it's literally not it, it, it's too long to be like on television or something but i, I have that is the most moving best political ad and i've been in this business since the 70s i've ever seen in my life and if if you don't believe me look at it and then you know the uh, right in and tell us james you're full of shit that ad wasn't any good I don't think anybody's going to say that, but there's probably a lot of competition, but it is a great one. I love the Lincoln, I think it's the Lincoln Brigade's little girl ad, uh, but there's a whole bunch of uh, really, really, really good ones. Uh, our final question is from Diane. 
I mean, I, Diane, I mean, you, you, we need more Diane. She said, I learn from you every week, James. That's good. Uh, cause I learned from you every week. And she says, you know, what am I going to do on election night? Will you be there? Probably not, but we'll be there the next day. Uh, and she's also looking for the counties that will tell us, uh, how big Biden's winning by. Well, one of the things that, that David Wasserman, uh, points out, you know, when you go to Florida and they report early because in Sumter County, Florida is where the villages are. And I think that Trump got 68. That's the elderly. Uh, 68%. And they report right away because this is a community of, you know, pretty well off, you know, older people, overwhelmingly white. And you're going to be able to tell very early about the senior vote. What the, the, I think the dashboard counties are probably Erie and Pennsylvania. Uh, New Hanover in North Carolina, Gwinnett in Georgia, you know, look at something really early. Look at Seminole County in Florida, I think is going to tell you a lot. It's, it went by Trump, I think, a little bit in in 2016, but it's really fast changing because, you know, everybody's be looking at Duval, it's Jacksonville. Uh, Richard Murray says for sure, Collin County in Texas. If, if Biden wins Collin, which is a Dick Armey's old district is a little bit north of Dallas. That, that, those, those are my kind of big early coming in uh, dashboard counties. Well, I agree. Ohio comes in early, too. And look at Hamilton. If Biden can run up a, a sizable margin right. in Hamilton. It, Pennsylvania does not come in early. Uh, but uh, Erie will be determinative last. It's usually it went for Obama twice. It went for Trump last time. Uh, they both spent a lot of time there. Erie will really matter because... Pennsylvania, a lot of Pennsylvania is uh, is preordained, M- maybe not margins, but uh, Erie is one of those competitive places, and as is Luzerne County up in the Northeast. Yeah, it is. It, and, uh, you know, again, I go back to what I said earlier, it's most unbelievable thing. So Trump goes to Erie, it's just what he says. If, if I was winning, I wouldn't be here, which I, I right. you know, he, he, he generally, nothing he does or says can shock you, but that, that's pretty shocking. <laughs> and of course, they don't yeah. mind. <laughs> The other thing I would say to Diane is we had on, on this as, as a guest about two months ago, Ben Wickler of Wisconsin, who may be the best party chair in the country, certainly in the starting five. Uh, and he said, look at some of those uh, southwestern uh, uh, counties in Wisconsin that went big for Trump last time. They're rural uh, and they're counties that he thinks they're turning on Trump. And if Biden starts to carry those or even run close in one or two, he's going to win Wisconsin decisively. Yeah, it, it, look, he's going to win Wisconsin. All right, that's that's done. That's in the bag. You know, how much? Or by a pretty good bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is just going to happen. It, it's, Poland cannot be that wrong. Yeah, I, this is my other mega prediction of this cycle. Is that the, you know, I don't make it based on any, I base it only being soon to be 76 years you know, of observing human nature. And the polling is going Europe. to... When it's all said and done, it will slightly favor the Republicans. Why do I say that? Because pollsters are Republicans? No. Because pollsters, you know, right? But what, what happened is, in 2016, it slightly favored, not as much as people say, but it did slightly tilt toward the Democrats. I think, and I've heard internally that they're really, you know, anal about this, and just knowing human condition, they're going to overcorrect. It, it happens all the time in, in human history. You go one way and people say, oh, no, we didn't get that. Then they go too far the other way and it takes a 
one other cycle to get it down the middle. But they are fanatical about how many non-college whites they get. That they, they, they really watch this stuff really closely, and I think they're erring. And I would too, but they're erring on the side of caution. That's my that's my genuine belief. Well, they also some of them uh, uh, part of their modeling is on 2016, just as part of their lot modeling of. 16 was in 2012. Uh, and I think uh, you know it's going to be a it's going to be a different composition this time, but. We'll see. I agree. I think, first of all, I think most of the polls were right last time. Uh, just some of the state polls were. And uh, I think they're going to be right this time. I do too. Okay. Keep those questions coming. They the really question. are good ones. And I wish we could get to 70 rather than seven, but we'll keep trying. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville. And I'm Al Hunt. Remember to email your questions to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. These are great questions. Keep them coming. Thanks for subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we get closer to November 3. Please vote.